to episode four of Bastard Pastors. I guess at four we're a success now. Yeah, we should have a celebration. Fourth episode. <laughs> Yay. I, I don't even know what success looks like in this thing. Like, I have no idea what successful podcasting S- looks like. Sitting here and actually just talking is success. I, we did it. <laughs> we need somebody to like retweet us. What we need is John Piper to retweet us and say that we're bad pastors. Because Rob Belby got right. rich. He would be like, and here it is, the downfall of the small church or something. Rob Bell got rich when John Piper took off on him. I wonder if we can get him to take off on us. All right, before we go anywhere else, Voldemort's story of the week. <laughs> this one lands on uh, our friend Voldemort. Uh, was looking to get married, actually, a while ago. And this is before <laughs> uh, our church had started. And uh, he went to the local mega church, as you do when you're kind of floating around. And uh, they have a wedding chapel. And he went... Well, it's uh, not a wedding chapel. Oh, sorry. It's, it's just a, a chapel. Sorry, it's a chapel where people can get married. Because this isn't Vegas. Yes, it's not Vegas. <laughs> and so he goes up to whoever you go up to. He's like, hey, you know, my fiance and I would like to get married here. And they're like, well, are you a member? And he <laughs> goes, well, you don't have membership. And she's like, well, how often do you come? And he's like, you know, we've come you know, a couple times a year, like most people who go there do. And, uh, and she gets real mad and she's like, you can't get married here or else we'd be the Las Vegas of Cincinnati. (laughs) And this infuriated him because he's known several people get married there who never went. And you can't tell him no anyway. Yeah. You can't tell him no. You can't tell him no. So to this day, and this was, I don't know what, eight years ago, something like that. It was a long time ago. To this day, whenever he drives past said mega church he rolls down his window sticks his middle finger out and says bitches <laughs> and several times there's been people inside the road who have no idea what he's talking about they just see someone who looks like voldemort stick a middle finger out and say bitches it's it's a i mean fair enough it's i've nuts. adopted the practice for a couple local other coffee shops and things like that <laughs> <laughs> anyways favorite voldemort story because i every time i drive past it now i think bitches <laughs> <laughs> well the flip side of that is we would be the opposite and that if you show up and ask us to perform your wedding we probably will well, yeah we sure we don't have a building yeah there's potential you might come so right. yeah sure i've never told anybody no on doing their wedding and Partially it's because... You have told someone no. One person. Oh, I did. I <laughs> we did. Have, we'll tell that story some other time. I did tell somebody no. I forgot. I, <laughs> but but not gen- because of the church. In general, I'm gonna we're going to say yes because it's a chance to sort of be involved in people's lives. Um, I'm in the middle of wedding season right now where I'm doing like six or seven this fall and it's a long stretch. I keep having these weddings like this one this past week who... They keep, like, they want a religious ceremony, which sometimes I have no idea why when they're right. not religious at all, but they really want it. <laughs> Usually it's for parents or something, but, and they keep saying, oh, we just want it short. We just want the ceremony real short. And so I go and I do this short ceremony. And I keep thinking, I ain't done nothing. Like, I just got right, here. Right, right, right. And they keep saying that. And I'm like, why are you hiding? I, I don't know. And then I feel like I haven't done justice to what they wanted because, well, yeah. that really was short. I'm like, it's what? A- you said you wanted short. It's an awful, like, people, I don't think people think about being pastor, like, getting to do, it's, I imagine it's true with funerals, although we haven't done many of those, but getting invited into the rawest part of people's lives or the most, like, intense emotional day a person can have, and you always feel inadequate for it. We did, we did a wedding this summer where the couple flew me to Colorado, paid for everything, paid for my airfare, paid for all the stuff we did in Colorado, we got to go to breweries and, and go hiking, and, um... 
at the end of it, I was like, you did not get your money's worth out of paying me to come out here. <laughs> you could have paid some local justice of the peace 50 bucks. Um, and it's yeah. cool. I know the, I know the, the, the woman in this couple for a long time. We've been good friends and I appreciate the emotional attachment and, and you know, I probably would have just flown out there, but I probably would have paid for it myself if she just had to do the wedding. But there was one time a father, the bride, and it was like a kid who was in when I was a youth pastor. Like I went to Virginia, but I was just going home anyways, and I stayed with my parents, so I didn't have to really pay lodge. He gave me five hundred bucks, and I was like, "Oh, I, I I need to make this way better than I had." I, need to <laughs> I, I went home and started like rewriting that night. Like, okay, but I need to add something here. There's no way to be good enough for a wedding. Right. There's no way. Yeah. I feel that all the time, especially me. Like I look like a hobo. That's why I noticed the, the weddings I do are never in churches. It's always outdoor, alternative weddings or folks yeah. that don't go to church anymore. Yeah, I've done a lot of weird ones lately. Like there was the one that was they were both in their sixties, second marriages because yeah. their spouses had passed away, and there and so I, I was like, ah, oh, I got to rewrite everything. <laughs> nothing I say applies to, you know, no, nothing's new for these guys. Like yeah. Well, it make, like to transition into what we were going to kind of talk about today, it makes sense because we're both people that want to do whatever it takes to get people to come to the church or come to a church. It doesn't have to be our church. We want people to come to know Jesus. We want people to know the community of the church. And so we tend to say yes to anything anybody asks us to do in an effort to further relationship with people. It's why I'm on the stupid community council. Well, and for me, especially if they are removed from the church for right. any reason, like they don't like it or they got burned out, then I'm like, I'll do anything. If... They're like already like super Christian. I'm usually just like, eh, I guess <laughs> you don't want you don't want to come to our church. <laughs> but but it's been a weird like, I feel like it's sort of a driving thing is that my job or our job or the church's job at Legend is to say, hey, we really want people who don't know the church or who've had a bad experience with the church to come to know the church. And so, I'll get involved with whatever you want me to get involved with. If it's if it's helping you move, I'll help you move. If it's doing your wedding i'll help do your wedding it's whatever we can do there to be a service to somebody we had somebody who goes to our church now who asked me to trim my beard like three days before their wedding <laughs> and uh and my wife was like you've decided to be involved in the most important part of people's lives you're going to do whatever it takes to serve those people and then i was mad at her as well as them because she was of course right and i did trim my beard although i think that's the last beard trim i'm going to have to do oh i like it when you get the beard trim it looks nice I mean, I'll trim it a little bit, but I'm not... It's the most hipster thing you participate in. I'm not going to... They see you walk in know. the salon, you're like, oh, they could be... I don't go to a salon. <laughs> oh, I go to a salon. <laughs> no, I go to, I go to an old school barbershop. Oh. Shut your mouth. <laughs> uh, so this week, uh, one of the main things we want to talk about, or at least start off with, is this idea, and we run into this a thousand times, that people don't understand, even people that we really like, don't understand why we would not want to be a mega church. That's unbelievable. I, and the funny thing is coming out of seminary, especially I think the way that uh, my particular Bible college was geared was that's, that's the end goal. The goal. Like if you go into business, you work your way up the ladder and you're eventually like CEO or something. Right. That's, right. that's the, and here that's what it was. Oh, well you start off as a youth pastor and then you, you know, people start taking you seriously. You become a family minister and then the main pastor <laughs> and eventually you leave that church and you go to a bigger church and you leave that church and go to a bigger church. And eventually you're at the big church or some, that, that's sort of the, and I, I was on that track. I thought that was it. And unfortunately, I did work for a, a large church, and it was one of the worst experiences ever. Um, I was part of the big one of the big mega churches in the city, and part of the church plant on the exact same track. I really wanted that track until we started Legend. I assumed 
that my end goal is to get to be the pastor of a ten or 20,000 member church where I predominantly spoke all the time. That's all I did was speak. Um, everybody else did sort of the grunt work, and I got to be the guy on stage. And, and then I went to work for a Presbyterian church that was sort of on its downward slope from its peak days. And my whole goal there was to turn it back around and make it into a mega church. A church that was bringing new people to Jesus in a little time. And, and that was a struggle because that church wasn't geared to do that. And it took well, me. And it makes you focus on performance. Oh, right. So I didn't care about funny, people suck it. as much <laughs> when I was in that place because I thought, okay, I have to perform this week. Yeah. I have to make sure people laugh. I have to make sure people get a little teary, a little teary at the end. Right? Um, I have to make sure like everything is on point, like the PowerPoint works. I mean... It was this huge production, and I quickly realized, oh, okay, this isn't me. I saw a, a news article this week for a, a church in Louisville who has a, they're a multi-campus church. They have a, they're a big time, probably six, six or ten campuses, 20, 25,000 people, and their pastor resigned just from burnout. Yeah. He just said, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. And then Which a, happens all the time. Right. A mentor of yours commented on Facebook and said, when are we start going to start doing church in a way that doesn't burn out pastors? Right. And it, I, my first thought was, I don't know. It's it's that I think a lot of it goes back to that performance issue. Like that was I got so stressed when I was there, and there were so many things. So one, we they did this thing called uh, Summer Palooza, and in Summer Palooza they, you know, inundated the community with these big bands and carnival rides and face painting and popcorn and hot dogs and everything was free and you came and every year they got thousands of people and the year I worked there it rained that day and so only a couple hundred people came and uh, and it was advertised hey we do this because we love the community and that day not a lot of people showed up and that following Monday we had our like staff meeting and the senior dude was like pissed he was <laughs> like well what are we gonna do we did all this work and people were like you know what do you do it rained, it rained. and uh, he he said this phrase which I'll never forget because it actually I think probably steered me in a different direction from that day on he said well if this event doesn't yield at least three tithing families <laughs> a year then it's no longer worth it and another guy at the table goes oh I thought we did this because we love the community. I didn't know, realize we were doing it to yield tithing families. Right. He's like, well, we do, but at the same time, if it doesn't, it's no longer worth it. And that's the day I realized, oh, we're selling a product. And my job is to be entertaining so that people keep coming right. to the product. And that's when I realized everything I learned in seminary about church was wrong. And everything I learned in seminary about the Bible was right because I was like, well, the Bible doesn't seem to deal with that sort of deal. Right. Uh, if anything, it's the opposite. Right. <laughs> We're not entertaining you. Right. And so I that day I remember I checked out and reevaluated everything that I thought about the church and because that's the thing with the mega church thing. People think that we're like, oh well you want to be that, or if you don't want to be that, then you're angry and bitter. It's like I'm not angry and bitter. There's just nothing about that model that is appealing right. to me. And I'm glad that it is for some people. Sure. Uh, before we bash the mega church, which we totally probably will and can, um, but uh, it does things that we'll never be able to yeah. do. It's like feeding people in building hospitals Africa. in Africa. Yeah, it's doing, that, the sex that's, that's awesome. Uh, that's not what we will do, probably I guess. Uh, but it's not. It's just nothing. There's nothing appealing right. about that model to me at all. Well, I, I think about it all the time from a from that angle. That's certainly right. Um, one of the angles that it's actually trying, this it strikes me this week because of the way this week's gone for me. I can't handle our fucking trailer. 
what would I do with a big ass building like that? If you had to like imagine like just the recording equipment, millions of dollars of recording equipment, sound equipment, we would break. Right. If it was like that, like this week our trailer, uh, the fender rusted off. And so I had to go lay in the parking lot of this asphalt trailer and like try to get steel screws to bite into this aluminum trailer and it was Just a nightmare. Bent a co- uh, clothes hanger. I thought about it. I, <laughs> I thought, and then this week I that, uh, that new uh, duct tape that's like oh yeah the steel duct tape steel duct tape that's what I should have done. It's probably better than what I did. Well, and then I had to replace. It took me four hours on Tuesday to repair our, our rolling bins, which we had just repaired a year ago. It was a year ago last fall that we did that, and they they needed to repair again. So I spent four hours in my driveway doing stuff. And yeah, man, those kind of like. Just imagining, because that's what happens when you become a megachurch is your job becomes, this what you experience where it becomes, you no longer get to invest about and care about people. Right. You have to care about the product you're selling or the programs you're running. Um, and my guess is, is that makes sense because it's what most Americans experience in their daily lives. It makes the church look exactly like the YMCA or their work or everything else that they do. And so it's fit and it's comfortable. Yeah. And it's money driven. I mean, money mm. becomes such a... That was, even though I feel like I experienced cool things in that church and they weren't like evil and didn't do anything, but it was so money driven that uh, it just made it completely unappealing to me. Right. Like you only do things so that people come, so they give money. So you can't fix the building. You can't you hire a gardener. Building, right? You can't, you know, hire a maintenance dude and all this other stuff. Although when I think of a building, the first thing I think of is I would play hide and seek in it. <laughs> From who? <laughs> you, nobody, I don't. Crap, when I worked from, at, from you. Whenever I get it, be it. Because can't find me. When I worked at the when I worked at the Presbyterian Church, we had <laughs> from it. You know, we had like five people on staff there. They didn't talk to each other. They sat in their offices, and I was like, I would always leave at noon and go find some place to have a beer. Because you get so bored. When I worked full time, I became a minesweeper expert. <laughs> I was that was back then. There wasn't a lot of computer games, so it was like minesweeper and solitaire. Once I did a good dose of that for an hour. I had a friend who had a church plant office, and they op- they kept an Xbox 360 in their office, and were just open about the fact that, hey, we have a downtime, we play video games. It's my biggest temptation for working at home. I could turn into doing nothing but playing video games. Yeah, because it's, I mean, remember, I remember in youth ministry, the summertime was full. Right. Did a lot. But once kids went to school, I was like, all right, I wrote a Bible study, and, uh... Sent some emails, and now I have four days right. of doing nothing. But you gotta look busy. You gotta yeah. look busy because everybody expects everybody expects your job to look like, like, like an office job looks for everybody else who works corporate nine to five. And so that's the way you were trained. That's the way the model is. Um, and then when we say that we don't want to do this, when we say we're not interested in building a mega church, when we don't even I'm. Out of all the things we botched when we first started planning for Legends. Well, and hold on, sorry. For, for, let's back up for one second because I think we're going to get there. Is The reason that we don't isn't just because of those things, but it's because we like being pastors. Right, right. And there's going to be a moment where it gets so big. Uh, and I, I, I mean, we've kind of arbitrarily always threw that at like 200 or 250. Right where we're now we've turned into that now we're just facilitating programs and i mean it's almost there now well, at 150 people it feels that way um and so i so you either have to come up with a model where okay we're gonna divide which right. is sounds really really stressful <laughs> um or you i don't know cap off somehow that that's where it becomes tricky sorry keep going no i, I think that and it's an interesting thing because like you said a few minutes ago i did my graduate school at the same place you did your undergrad for seminary and, and part of my grad school. Oh, part of your, most of your grad school. Most school. All, All but one. one class. <laughs> and then you got fired. Ah, damn it. Um, 
But so even there, what I would say to people, I had no desire to have a church over, for me, the the number, and it's arbitrary, but the number was always two, 200 to 250 adults. Although with us, that means like 600 people. Like we do like four kids for every adult at this it church. It is true. We have a lot of kids. Um, but I never wanted to be a giant mega church once I started Legend because um, I sort of got addicted to the idea that I could be with people and spend time with people and then see people through long seasons of growth. So it's not, okay, I because I felt like when I was at the big, the mega church where I was just a volunteer, it was meet somebody, get them to convert to Christianity, move on to the next person, and then get them to start training other people. Whereas with this one, I feel like we're doing a lot more of, just spending long times of life with well, people. Because our model was always communal. Uh, we saw that as sort of a sort of a biblical model that we dug, and we're like, hey, we're gonna we're not just being a pastor. We're gonna be these are our friends. Right. And so because they're our friends, as new people come, you can't be like, well, screw you, friends. I gotta go make new friends. And sometimes I actually feel like I have to we do, do that. that yeah. Uh, and the people I want to spend time with actually don't get time enough with, but. Uh, because of that, then you're only expanding your friend base or your community base or people that you rely on. Uh, and th- that only has but a cap of, of so many people. And, and so... And going back to a real point, that's what kills pastors. Right. You don't have real relationships. You can't be honest with people because you're just maintaining to provide the support for program. And I've been... Like, we've had people... We've had people allege that have been here since the start that were my best friends before that. And they're, they're still really my best friends and people I spend right. time and with. And they know you. That's the right. thing. They know right. what you Every suck word. at. Yep. They know, like, I feel like when I get up there and preach on Sundays, people know, like, oh, man, Justin's having a bad day. <laughs> he's, oh, or they've seen me yell at my children. They've seen me. I've had to go to people and apologize. Like, yep. we had this sermon planning meeting where I drank too much and I got real shitty with the dude. Um, and I had to call him the next day and be like, Hey dude, uh, it was probably out of line. Sorry. And he was cool. Like, I don't feel like most pastors can do that. They have to hide some secret life or like one, I know this one dude who, um, uh, this one pastor and I actually like him a lot. You met him once and he really likes to smoke cloves a lot. And so he'll be like, Hey man, you know, it's smoking clove. And I'm like, yeah, sure. That sounds great. And he will be like, man, I can't do this with anyone because, uh, it's, people will judge you and I'm like yeah I get that but I just don't and my thing with that is they're gonna figure it out eventually yeah you might as well let them know now that's been a model of I've every pastor I've ever worked with or for told me that I needed to hide the fact that I drank from my congregation I understood at least when I was a youth pastor they didn't want me like openly drinking around a lot of high school kids that makes sense that at least makes sense but they wanted me to take like at this time it was MySpace but they wanted me to take it off my MySpace profile a picture of me with a pint of Guinness and I was like but no, I drink, and this is just who I am. And we don't let kids drink because they're kids. And I can tell kids I get to do things you don't get to do. But these were grown men who regularly were spending time hiding things from their congregation because they were afraid of what they would think about them. Like, but aren't they just going to find out anyway? And these are people that all are out of ministry by now. Yeah. Because it burns you out. Yeah, I don't get that. I don't feel like... Well, the thing that I remember originally when we started to plant a church... Um, I went to a church who talked about community all the time. Get involved in your community. Let's do stuff for our community. But it was in Virginia Beach where there's probably 25 different communities that have all come to one church at one specific location. And our communities were 30 minutes away. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, well, whose community? The community where the physical building right. of the church is? Uh, where I live? How that li-? And it was never really, really clear and then I, I realized, oh, well, I would like to have a church where my church is in my community and my community is that. And when you have that, 
people see everything about you and they just know who you are and you're living with them. And that I think changes the perspective of ministry. You're not, uh, and this, this is actually a really cheesy analogy, but it's one of my, or I guess metaphor. It's one of my favorites. It's Dorothy and the, on the wizard of Oz that she meets all these broken people that have their issues. She's broken. She has her own issues. She needs to get home and she meets someone who needs a brain and a heart and some courage. And she knows the way. So she knows that the Emerald city and the yellow brick road is the answer. And instead of, uh, instead of meeting these broken people on the road and say, Hey, I know the answer. It's a yellow brick road. I'm going to go just keep following the yellow brick road and follow me. She joins them arm in arm mm-hmm. and they all walk together. And I heard that it's a little cheesy, but I lo- I remember thinking, yeah, that's how I think ministry is. Instead of, okay, I'm gonna get there and you're just following me. Keep right. following me. Keep right. following me. It's you are with people. And I think when you're doing that, they see you mess up. They see you as you really are. And I feel like it's a much more powerful communal tool than just saying, well, I know everything and I'm pretty perfect. Right, right. Because you're not. (laughs) Well, I mean, I am. Well, and the worst thing is, is the longer you tell people that, the more you start to believe it. And then you like the, the pastor that we both worked for at the last church lied all the time because he had to protect the image. He lied to he lied to other people. He was destructive. He was maybe one of the most just downright evil people I'd worked for. And I don't think and it causes the rest of your church to lie, the leadership to lie for him, and then everyone else is like, well, "What's going on?" Right. I, I mean, how many times am I growing up where they're like our youth pastor, youth pastors always get fired right. for like doing a chick or like right. in our case, we had a dude who like paid. Uh, <laughs> paid a prostitute. Right. He wasn't married, which, you know, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> uh, paid a prostitute, but he paid it with a church check, and the church check didn't go through, and she came to the church demanding her money. <laughs> and uh, and instead it of coming bounced. to all the kids, like, next thing we know, we're like, that dude got fired. What happened? We loved him. Nothing, nothing. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Well, all you're going to do is be like, yeah. all right, what happened? Well, well, we know if that. they would have been like, hey, look, he screwed up. He, like, had this prostitute. We'd be like, ah, oh, that sucks. We still like him, but... All right, at least we get it. We get it. But instead, they cover it up, and it's and then everyone starts mistrusting the church and this and that, and I don't that that stuff like that's crazy. Well, it's interesting because because I feel like for a long time the only acceptable model for church growth was mega church. You either had to have the the building with fifty thousand people in it, the 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 giant building, or you had to have the. multi-site campuses right where you oh, broadcast right. a video of yourself to the people that's the most pretentious thing i, I, I think. hate it I hate if it you're so big much. enough to have that many people you should probably have enough orators in in the world and their congregation to speak on behalf and of i like, don't necessarily buy into this model of replicating leadership because i think that's stupid too but if but those people all do believe in that and so you're taught all you do is talk about leadership but you can't give away the speaking authority to the one of these seven different pastors the seven different churches that are around the around your city. Um, but so because of that, because we don't want to be any of that, I felt like a lot of times there's nothing out there for guidance for us. There's nothing out there to say, okay, here's your next benchmark. Yeah. And there's starting to be so, because for a while, any conference you went to was geared towards you becoming the best, like the biggest church, right. um, or every <laughs> book, or especially, um, if you go to like a big conference, you go to the exhibit hall, I was like, oh, maybe you'll see some really cool yep. things, but it's all like how to make things grow, how to right, you know, right. how to track numbers better, and how to this and uh, which for me personally, it was geared towards a personality type that I am not. Um, there was never anything about arts or engaging right. or 
community. And I think now they're starting to be. I know there's that small church book that people keep telling me to read. Slow, slow, slow church. church. Is that what it is? Slow church. And then uh, one of my friends, she's in this like sojourn network that's apparently supposed to yeah. be really cool. Um, I just don't have time to meet with a network right. or. She's so deep practice. Harry too. Potter's really good. I got to put that down and read some slow church book. <laughs> right. But um, yeah. And so it's it's been interesting because I sort of I think it was probably three or four years ago where I reached a point and said, I don't know what I'm doing anymore. Because there aren't any models for what it looks like for I I guess maintaining your size. I and mean, then we've grown in spite of that. Like it's not like we haven't added new families over the last couple of years, but um. But our goal has been to build community and to let people grow and be healthy here and then to let let Jesus bring people to us as Jesus sees fit. It seems to be the pattern that we've taken so far. Um, but I think a lot of those guys romanticize what it means to be in a small church because you'll get a guy like Francis Chan. We saw him at Catalyst right. talking about small church or organic church, but he's writing it from an office that's paid for right. by the, the hundreds of thousands of dollars. Oh, yeah. Any makes... book, that, that's another thing. Yeah, anytime someone's writing like, oh, organic and grassroots and these words, you read it and you're like, oh, yeah, that's totally what we're doing. But the guys, yeah, they already have all it. of them the money and cash flow right. and big church that they need to be like, Oh, it would be nice to slow things down a little bit. Because but... slow growth church is going to be stressful. It's going to, right. you're always going to worry. You're always going to, you're always going to try to justify your and job. I, I do think it comes to an institutional problem where seminaries and schools and some churches, they put you in a position where you have to make a living and make money. Right. And so they're giving you the best money making church plan and I just really think the future of ministry, uh, to get back to where it should be, to get away from where it's become, is a bivocational, yeah. uh, if sometimes non-paid, smaller church, <laughs> marry someone rich. It's what artists do. I mean, right. most of the artists I know who actually are producing and selling uh, either have a really a nice job and they can do it on the side or they have a rich spouse and who can rent them a studio and they can just paint and it doesn't matter right. if you buy their paintings. Like right. that's, it, it's very similar to creating a church where it's like, okay, there's either outside resources that make you have the time to be a pastor. Right. Uh, otherwise you do get burnout. And that's, I think what happens. Although, most. and this is, so we've, we've now hacked off two thirds of the people in the church world. Cause, cause you can't attack the mega church, especially Cincinnati. Oh Yeah. So we've made those people mad. I, on the flip side of that, and I, I'm equally as distrustful of um, house churches. I don't think the house church movement is healthy because it's mm. always, I, mean, I should say always, my experience has been that it is it is most of the time people who are taking a ball and going home because they didn't like, they, they didn't want to be, they didn't want to compromise. They didn't want to listen to other people. They wanted, they wanted a church. Right. They just wanted to be Pope of their own small little church. And so they took the ball and went home and started a bitter community of 10 to 12 people. Well, and what most of those people find out is like, oh, this has become so much work. I don't really don't have time. So we're right. not meeting this week. Oh, we're not meeting next week. Oh, we're not. And that's because uh, when I first left the the big church, that was my that was my pendulum swing. Oh, man, I'm just doing house churches. That's the way that, you know, the New Testament was. I'm going to do it. And I was a part of three house churches when I moved back here and started working uh, in Cincinnati. And one of them was exactly that angry and bitter and i'm like oh geez you guys are annoying uh the other one was kind of cool but it lasted about two months before burnout yeah. uh and the other one and i went to one more and all three of them had the same thing where a lot of people came because they're christians and they wanted something a little different but they none of them ever considered it like oh i'm sure. not really I, I go somewhere else on the weekends yeah 
there's still something I think ingrained in probably our culture that says being a part of something on Sundays. Well, is... even I mean, going back, Paul gets upset when people say we're not going to meet together on Sunday mornings. Like this is the meeting right. together for for corporate worship is an important part of the oh, life yeah, of totally. the church, and um, so it's it it you know it's weird to think of us as the average now because we're not a whole, we're not a house church. We're also not a mega church. We're in the middle. Right. Right. Actually, I was telling my oldest son the other day, he's like, well, we have a tiny church. I was like, well, if you look at national averages, we're doing all right. We're a little bit, a little bit above average right now. Um, but it's, so this is the, in watching this, if, so if you don't want to be a mega church and you're not going to be a house church and you're, the secret isn't in any particular skill set. It's not that I'm good at X, Y, or Z skills. It's not that you're good at, it's that both of us are just willing to grind it out. Grind it out. It's just a matter and of deciding not to quit. My constant prayer every month when we do our prayer meeting, every time I pray about the church, I say, God, thanks for doing this in spite of me. Right. Because you did it in right. spite of anything I do there or been, any gift I have. The last year or two years of this church have been God bringing people to this church that are astounding. People that could do better for the kingdom in other churches, I feel like sometimes. People that I'm stunned oh, every yeah. week when they walk into the church, I'm like, oh man, you came back. Yeah. <laughs> Why did you come back? Um, but it, it really just comes down to, are you willing to grind out the long, because most of them, I, this is going to be taken the wrong way. It's not meant to, I was talking to a friend of mine who had served in the military and there's a great quote that says that the military is 99% boredom and 1% terror. Like the 99% of the time you're sitting around doing nothing, waiting when that 1%, when it actually comes to combat, it's the worst thing in the world. And there are times when I feel like there's a lot of times where pastoring and church planning is like that, where there's a lot of downtime. There's a lot of like, "Ah, I don't know, or like 20 minute windows where I've got nothing to do and I don't work well in 20 minute increments. So like at that time, it's just a waste. There's nothing's going to get done. Um, And then sometimes it's like you, a week like you had last week where you had a meeting every night Yeah. and then you had to write a sermon, write a Bible study, weddings where you don't get to take a breath for a week. And then those weeks you feel exhausted and then the week after that, when everything's slow, you feel guilty for not working more. Right. And so you just get ground out. It just it just chews people up, which right. is which what leads to so many pastors quitting. We are at this point grizzled veterans of not just it used to be the church plant world, now the ministry world. The fact that we've been doing this for yeah. when you graduate seminary, I think the it's four out of eight, which I know is a weird statistic, but that's what they said when we graduated. Only last three years. Yeah. Tops. And then less than that, 10 years. And that's been our experience with the people we've met along the way. Yeah. Most of the people we've met along the way have transitioned into other ministries or other careers and or are out of Christianity altogether. Like the no, church finally cool. burnt them out. It was out. real cool for a while, and then I really needed to do something else. It's a young man's game, too. Yeah. <laughs> if I was still, I remember, the, I remember the day I was in him sleeping in a desert in Mexico telling telling Jesus I was done. I hated it. I love the ministry. I love my kids. Yeah. I was done sleeping on the ground in the dust. I was done with the 18 hour days. Well, and this gets into something a little cheesier than we like to talk about, but I do believe in the idea of a calling. Sure. And I believe that most people probably aren't. Not right. that God doesn't do awesome things to that. Right. But uh, I think a lot of times people look at the success of it and look at like something in, in the mega church or a bigger church. Like, oh, that's success. That would be yeah. great. I'd like to do that. Uh, or it's ego driven or power driven. I think that's a lot of it. Well, and I th- it really is. I think that's the thing that burns you. Like I think that ministry, I think being in ministry plays to and exacerbates your insecurities and fears, and so you live with them all the time. The nice thing about legend, the nice thing about doing a small church or a slow a slow growth church is, you get time to work those things out. Like you, you get time to breathe. You get people who love you and are around you all the time and support you and. 
Um, yeah, I, mean, I know people who they've gone into ministry. Um, <laughs> I whispered a name. Uh, who think, and I feel like that they feel like they have, they're better. Oh, they've sure. got a secret uh, vision from God that's better than everyone else's, or they uh, have can ascertain things better than other people, and then they start something and they get mad when other people don't jump into that vision or when it doesn't work out. And the whole time I'm like, man, I fucking told you, man. Like this is, it's not it's about hard. being better or, uh, you know, if at best we went to school and we got knowledge that we can help. Those uh, people don't care about that knowledge. But man. no one cares about that knowledge. No, <laughs> not, we need to do another podcast where we talk about people's educational horizon, which I didn't believe for a long time, but it actually is true. Um, but yeah, it's, people don't care about the knowledge at right. all. And right. they don't care about, I think when it's convenient, people want you to be yeah. a better person, but that's not real either. Yeah. And, and for the most part, what people have wanted here, and I was thinking about this the other day, I think this, if Legends done anything well, um, when I was at seminary, a professor asked me that what if we weren't so focused on Jesus' teachings, but focused on Jesus' life? That what if his life was the parable? And so who he hung out with, the way he hung out with them, the things that he said were all examples that he wanted us to emulate. And there are ways that I think Legend has done that really well where we've said, uh, to use a sort of a mystic phrase, the idea of a of a ministry of presence where we were present in people's lives. We're there right. all the time no matter what happened. When your kids are born, when your kids are bad, when you're getting married, when you're getting divorced, when you're getting a new mm-hmm. job, when you're getting fired from a job, when you're having a really good time, when you're having a really good bad time. We're just there. We don't need to teach you anything. You, you probably know. Right. And that, I'm actually going to say that on Sunday morning. Well, that's, uh, it's a N.T. Wright quote, I think, or C.S. Lewis quote, where he says, uh, most people don't need to be told something new. They just need to be reminded of things right. they already know. And you remind that with presence. You remind that by just saying, hey, I'm here with you. I'm here to, to do what I can to help. Um, I think it's why I get away with being such an asshole sometimes is because I'm there to help people. If I, like People know. Right. And I'm an ass about the way I like to argue about things. And uh, I'm going to do, but people also know that I care about them more than I care about arguments. And so. Yeah, I mean, because I believe one of the biggest reasons that we have the communal gathering the church is because we're all there trying as hard as we can throughout the week and we just need one place where you can come and people get it and they can be there for you when everything hits the fan and my guess is is that ultimately is that true community is destroyed once you get to a certain size oh you're talking about something else at that point what's like the pretentious coffee world like uh, my theory on coffee that coffee snobs hate but it's sort of most of my life is coffee so i get it uh, is that if you ask someone, hey, what was your favorite cup of coffee? It is rare that anyone's going to be like, oh, you know, an Ethiopian uh, single origin, blah, 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 cup to a perfect, like, they're not going to say that. They're going to say, oh, one time when I was in Italy, one time when we were camping. It's always linked to an experience that they mm-hmm. had. And they will always say, because my favorite cup of coffee was a Starbucks Via Instant Pack, and we were camping one day, and we woke up, and there's water, and there's clear air, and the kids are playing by the fire, and it's, and I'm drinking this coffee, like, this is the best cup of coffee I've ever had, because mm. my experience was linked to that coffee, and I feel like uh, when I ask people what their favorite church experiences were, it's always linked to people. Right. I was with a group of people, I was with a specific group of people, and we did these things. Or, uh, and it's always something small. It's never like, every now and then, like, I was in this giant worship experience. But at the same time, they still link it to the people they were with there. I don't meet many people who, uh, like, they were off on some giant thing by themselves. It's always 
linked to a specific well, group of people. Isn't that the best mega churches are really just hundreds of small churches inside of a corporate right. gathering? Right. Like they've got a group of people that care about them, that pastor each other, that love each other, that take care of each other. Yeah. And in the in this particular mega church, I've met awesome Christians. I've yeah. met people who they're in at a level that's so deep that they do have a small group. The danger is that the mega church, there's so many people that are just on the edge and I don't think they ever get to experience that. Right. And as much as you try, you're only creating lights and smoke right. and gold teeth. Well, and for me, I, I became a Christian at a mega church. Like yeah. I was able to do things there and experience things there that A, prepared me for the ministry that I do now and that B, like I had a mentor and people that gave, gave me lots of opportunities and growth. And so I'm not opposed to the, to the idea of mega churches. And I, mega churches are better than no churches. Right. Um, but what I, what I can't get behind is the idea that that every church has to be one. Like we don't, we'll, you and I are never going to run a mega church. Right. We're not just, we're not good enough at it. We have to hire somebody. We have to fire somebody, take pay cuts and have that person be our boss and tell us what to do. Yeah. Who could architect the growth it would take to get there. And we'd have to move out of Cincinnati. You couldn't put another mega church here. Right. Yeah. It's, yeah, there's so many things where I kind of think that, and I read it, there's actually a book called the shaping of things to come by Alan Hirsch and Mike Frost, and they wrote it in the 90s. That book's like 25 years old. Now. Yeah, it's old. <laughs> um, but they, I remember reading it right out of seminary in my first ministry job, and it scared the crap out of me because they had these predictions that I think are actually all coming true about the future of the church and where it's going. And at that time, they were they said the same things, bivocational ministry, uh, smaller churches, things are getting smaller, mm -hmm. things like local. And they predicted local and organic and all these things coming back to a trend because right. it's just a circle. Sure. And that even they even predicted the death of the monologue sermon, uh, which that one I was like, I heard someone else say, you know, since the beginning of of, of uh, writing, uh, the, the monologue talk has always been... Right. A thing from Aristotle to, to now so they were like I don't know about that one but maybe so maybe it's more storytelling and less right. uh, I don't know but anyways I read it and it scared the crap out of me because it said oh you won't be as important as you are right now because I think in the 90s right ministry in America had a heyday and I think that's why institutions like Bible college and seminaries thrived then because guys were going and getting big paying jobs and then putting back into the institution. I know one guy that I graduated with from seminary five years ago, six years ago, who got the job as the speaker at a mega church. Everybody else is grinding out in small churches right now. Um, Cause that's, that's where people are. That's, that's where the need is, right? right. That's where, that's where they need people who are willing to do the work. It's the trenches and front lines and um, which is good. And it's, it's a cool thing for us to be there. It's interesting just to run into people. People in the church don't get it. People outside the church get it. People yeah. that I meet that are not Christians, they get the appeal of a small community group. A lot of people inside the church are, they really love it. But the flip side of that is we've, our church is made up of people predominantly who got burned by mega churches. Yeah. How many people came from one mega church dumpster fire? Just one. Right. Right. For oh especially at the beginning of this church, one mega church in the city burned itself to the ground and we picked up the refuge from that for a long time of folks who have been who have been hurt and damaged by that church's Yeah, and to their credit, when we first started our church in Oakley, there's another mega church there. And so we went and met with the yep. senior pastor. He actually took the time and met with us. And he asked us this question, well, what kind of church do you guys want to be? And I was like, I don't know, the church. I don't know. I was like, I was angry at the time. Like, oh, you're putting labels on me. I'm not labeling anything. Uh, and he said something which is, damn it, absolutely true. <laughs> uh, he goes, well... 
if you guys came and said you want to be another one of us, he said, I would probably tell you you need to leave geographically because there's no room. Right. Which he was right. And we didn't want to be that. And he said, but if you want to be the anti mega church, the anti us, he's like, you guys will do awesome. And I was like, at the time, I also wasn't so bitter because I was like, no, I don't want to be anti anything. That sounds horrible. But without us trying, that's exactly what we became because there's people that walk in our church on Sundays and they have had a rough go and they don't want to be your best friend and they don't want you to hold their baby and they don't want you to go to lunch with you. They just want to show up and leave and they don't last long at our church. They're like, okay, this isn't what I want. And they walk into that place and they love it. Right. And then we have some people who are the exact opposite who walk in and they're like, this is what I wanted. Because as soon as you walk into our church, it's like, oh, let me take your baby for you. How's it going? Right. Uh, you want to come over to our house this afternoon? We're coming to your house and we're all going to hang out and right. party. Uh, so it's it's different. And I get it. And I, I think that's actually the beauty of the church that it could be different. Um, although I feel like lately I've been getting a little uh, weirded out by some of the things that mega churches do. And I think as our culture... It's a culture shift. Yeah, as our culture shifts when things... I mean, not to be dumb, but when things like Donald Trump come out and be who he is and the culture responds that the way they do, I feel like it sheds a light on mega churches being tied to that sort of thought right, more. Right. And uh, so I feel like some of the cobwebs are being cleared. Yeah, and I, I've, I've always said that's a good thing. I've yeah. always said that it'll be, it's a good winnowing, it's a good, like, separation. And I also think that we're all sitting on a generational fault line right now that 100 years from now, 50 years from now, these things won't matter. Yeah. These conversations won't be happening because everything will have shaken out. They matter now because the shaking yeah. is going on right now. Well, and what's interesting is our children, I, I, and I'm sure Leo talks about it, but Graydon will be like, I couldn't imagine going to church. We didn't know everyone. Right, right. Like, I couldn't imagine it. Yeah. Like, because he's gone with friends to that place before and have been like, oh, it was really fun. Right. He's like, but it was weird because I didn't know anyone. He's like, when it comes to spirituality and Jesus and church, he has uh, become a person who links it to a community, which I think is cool. Of course, when he gets old, he'll probably be like, oh, fuck that. <laughs> he'll go Catholic. But he'll go Catholic. Or yes. Orthodox. The, uh, hey, look, that's his, this is our longest podcast ever. What? That's because we had something really good to talk 42 about. 42 minutes today. I mean, we didn't even... We didn't plan it out? Uh, yeah, we didn't, like, tip the iceberg of what we could talk about <laughs> for that. Um, so, I mean, it, at the end of the day, it, for me, it's a good check-in to remind ourselves we're doing it this way because these are, this is who we are. Like, we're not... We didn't screw it up to get to this size. We didn't get screw it up to be who we are right now. This is the way it's supposed to be. And I think, I think sometimes it's easy to forget that. Yeah, the, um, yeah, you know, and I, it, all that said, God could strike us down tomorrow and be like, yeah, you're done. You're done. Um, God the mega make church it. could just swipe its hand and be like, right. you are done. But it's been, of all the churches I've worked at, mega and twice the size of ours, um, I've never enjoyed showing up on Sundays mm-hmm. like I do now. I've never just been like, okay, this is a part of me that I could never quit. Right, uh, right. People ask all the time, you, you got another job offer, would you take it? I'm like, no, because I couldn't. How like, would I, I do that? I couldn't do that. <laughs> don't um, so it's it's something that now, because uh, I know so many guys who can start a church or go to a church and then go to the next one. And I actually know a dude who's done that now. And I kind of made a joke laughing, but kind of serious. Like, so you're just telling everyone to go screw themselves? Like, you right. just invested in these people trying to teach them lessons and stuff, and now well, but, you're just gone? But when you're looking for CEOs, 
right. instead of pastors. And that's what a lot of the churches right. are looking for. They're looking for guys to manage. They're not looking for guys to invest in because that's what the model is. Um, so that's it. So do me a favor. Uh, Lucas, my youngest, told me that we're supposed to tell people to hit that like button down at the bottom corner because that's what all his favorite oh. YouTubers say. Hit that like button. Hit that like button and subscribe. Share it. We can make a YouTube channel. We should do like Rush Limbaugh has like if you pay extra you get to watch him do his radio show on TV show. Oh yeah. Oh nice. So we could we could we could use um Periscope and have people watch us podcast. Nice. That seems it's weird. A, it's a dollar an episode. Mm. I don't know. Oh yeah, hit that like button and hit. share. And we can do commercials for we can do commercials. Come into Red Tree and say Bastard Pastas and get a free small coffee. <laughs> By the uh, you we can advertise for the goddamn gallows. Yes. Uh, we uh, which we will week. have them next week. Yeah, well, next week we're gonna talk about the goddamn gallows. That's the the song you're getting ready to hear to play us off. Band, let's do it. You motherfuckers need Jesus. Uh, and you-